And it's verses 17 through 38. This is the, the rest of chapter 20. And just sort of as, um, you know, as a summary, as a reminder, as we're looking through the book of Acts, it really is all about the church on a mission. And as we've seen, one of the, the sub-themes is that the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading, guiding, and empowering the first Christians and the apostles as leaders to really expand God's uh, church uh, through, uh, through that, whole, um, that whole area. And so uh, it's been a great study of history to see what it looked like with the fledgling church and things they had to deal with. And so um, we are in chapter 20, and we're still going to continue to see that theme arise of the Holy Spirit leading, um, leading Paul and leading the apostles to work out the will of God together. And so it's quite amazing to recognize that we here sitting today in the year 2017 are part of that legacy and tradition of, of over 2,000 years ago. It's great to think about that. Another reason why we should even do a sermon series on the Reformation, because that brings us back 500 years. Right? But also remembering that right now we're worshiping and studying the Word of God with millions of other brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world that are doing that right now as well. But we also join those throughout history who have um, been the church and being a witness to Christ among the nations. So we want to continue to do that. So in just a moment, we're going to open Acts uh, to Acts 20 and read that together. It's a, a very interesting passage because basically it's Paul giving a sort of a farewell speech to, uh, to the, the leaders in Ephesus because he is about to move on to something else. And so there's a lot we can glean from that. But, you know, as I was reading the passage, I was just thinking about how... Um, how Paul is kind of taking a self-assessment. Maybe you've done something like that in your life. Maybe you had to do it at work or for a class in school. But it can be an awkward thing sometimes, taking an assessment of ourselves, you know. But we, um, we use many different tools for measuring things. And, you know, I was reminded as I was reading this passage that um, when, when we used to go visit our daughter Lauren up in Boston, when she went to Boston University, we would take the opportunity to kind of explore the city. If you've ever been to Boston, it's a beautiful city. I mean, there's so much that we love about it. Pretty much everything except their sports teams, right? So we're given that. That's correct. And so we do not love them, you know. I would always say, because Boston University is right near Fenway, and, and people would park there. So you'd see, you know, parents in their Boston jerseys with their little kids, and I'd be like, that's, that's child abuse, really, putting your kid, you know, in a little, you know, a little big poppy jersey, whatever. So anyway, so, but we love the city of Boston. A lot of history, a lot of history there. But, you know, I remember this one time we were taking a walk over a bridge. It's actually called the Harvard Bridge, and uh, it's still there today, of course, and it connects the cities of uh, Boston and Cambridge. Cambridge is where you have Harvard University and even uh, MIT. And so I remember as we were walking across the bridge, we saw these really peculiar markings along the bridge as we were walking. And so we asked Lauren, who's, you know, was a student there in the city, asked her about it, and she told us the history of those markings. And so on October 4th of 1958, there were these two upperclassmen from a fraternity on the campus of MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. 
And uh, this one night in 1958, they had a, a brainstorm. See, they didn't like that long walk over the bridge because it was really cold. You know, it gets really cold up in Boston. And it was a cold walk across the, the river on that bridge to campus. And so they wanted at least a way to tell how much bridge they had left to cross. So their great brainstorm and idea was this. They decided to make the freshman pledges use one of their own to go measure the bridge. Now you figure this is what pledges do. You know, you do whatever the upperclassmen say. And so they said that they wanted the pledges to uh, to use one of their own to measure out the bridge. But it was not for one of the pledges to go take measurements of the bridge. It was for one of the pledges to actually be the measuring stick for the bridge. So the upperclassmen told the pledges to use one particular freshman, and his name is Oliver Smoot, S-M-O-O-T. So why did they choose Oliver Smoot? Because he was 5 feet 7 inches tall, and he was at the time the shortest pledge. So the upperclassmen knew that it would take them the longest amount of time to measure their way across. So one night, the pledges found a spare bucket of light-colored paint, and they started to go to work. So Oliver Smoot started at the beginning of the bridge, and he would lie down, and the others would use chalk to mark where his head and his feet were. And then every ten Smoots, now as a, as a uh, measurement, they marked the interval with paint. And the job wasn't easy for Oliver Smoot because he wound up having to do dozens and dozens of push-ups as they made their way across down the bridge. Then there was a time where the police came upon them at about the 300 Smoot mark. And eventually, the others wound up having to carry him from one spot to another. But finally, they reached the end of the bridge that night, marking the bridge at 364.4 Smoots and one ear. That was what was left over. But here's the interesting thing as well. Today, those markings are still there. The smoots are painted in bright orange and blue, but there's also smudges of red and yellow and green from the past years that are visible underneath. Because every year since 1958, the pledges of that fraternity at MIT are made to go out and repaint those smoot marks. Even when the bridge was renovated 20 years ago, officials let the marking stay, even going so far as having the engineers score off the new sidewalk at five foot seven smoot intervals instead of the standard six feet ones that they would normally use. And here's the end of the story. In 2005, about 12 years ago, Oliver Smoot, who had gone on to have a a long career in the technology industry, but also doing some government work. In 2005, he retired from the position on the board of directors of the American National Standards Institute. It's a Washington-based association that includes the Departments of Commerce, Energy, and Defense, and they set standard units and guidelines for everything from fire sprinklers to computer files. So you could say that since that night in 1958, Oliver Smoot was the true embodiment of a passion for measurements, literally the embodiment of a measurement. 
It's a really interesting story. If you ever go to visit Boston, take a walk across the Harvard Bridge, which is now known as the Smoot Bridge, and you can see those markings, right? All because those two guys had a brainstorm. But we have many different ways of measuring things in life, right? We use rulers and measuring tapes and mile markers. We use barometers, thermometers, even some of us use our speedometers to measure our speed. And we have those little bars on our smartphones that measure how much battery life we have. That's probably the most important measuring tool that we have in life now. We can measure our steps even each day with an app if we wanted to. But the question that I see coming up in our our passage today is, how do we go about measuring a life? Now, I don't mean like a span of years or even a quantity of years, but how do we go about measuring the quality of those years? You know, we have many ways of of taking self-assessment tests these days. They seem to be very popular. I've had to take them for uh, the different jobs that I was in. You know, we can use self-assessments to measure our success, our goal achievement, a mental IQ, even uh, physical skills. We take SATs to get into college, and then we take exams to try to stay in college, right? There's many different ways to measure things in life, but more importantly, the question at hand this morning is, how do we measure a life? How do we measure the heart and the soul? Do we even dare to take stock of our lives to see where we've come from, where we are now, and where we're going? I do believe that it's a vital thing for us to do, to quite often take a step back to review our past, to respond to the present, and to reflect on the future. The, um, the well-known philosopher Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth living. But the key is this. We must remember to always use the right standard of measurement and the best model for comparison whenever taking a self-assessment. And of course, we know here in this room that is the truth of God's Word. Are you with me? And of course, the idea being that we are not to measure ourselves against the world system or the world standards or to model ourselves after anyone else in particular other than Jesus Christ Himself and His Word. And that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in this text today. He reviews his past three years of ministry. He responds to his present situation and he reflects on his future and the responsibilities in the future of the church and the leadership to which he's speaking. So let's read that now. Keep that in context as we read that. Acts 20, uh, 17-38. This is the Apostle Paul. If you remember, he had been traveling around and he really, really, really wants to get to Jerusalem. He doesn't even want to stop on his way. But the Spirit moves him to stop one more time to get together with the leaders from Ephesus to kind of give them a little farewell message. That's what we are reading this morning. So it says in verse 17, So from Miletus, he meaning Paul, sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. So Miletus was like a a port city. It was about 30 miles south of Ephesus. So he got there and he said, I probably shouldn't even go to Ephesus. There's too much going on. And 
could even be dangerous now. So he just has somebody call all the elders, the church leaders. And it says in 18, when they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and also from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one, silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with all of them. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. An amazing word of testimony. A great recollection of his own life that the Apostle Paul gives to his friends. These weren't just leaders from distant, distant churches. Do you see how they hung on every word and at the end they were sorrowful and they cried and they wept when they knelt down to pray together. But I just briefly want to look at these three things that Paul did. But as we look at how he reviewed his past and he responds to his present and then he reflects on his future, would you kind of use that as a filter this morning to take stock of your own life, how you've come to where you are this morning? It's important that we do that. Sometimes it can be scary. There should be also a lot of encouragement there. But also remember that we're not doing this thing alone. There are important elements of a life well lived that we can glean from Paul's message 
to these church leaders. So filter them through your life as we read through it. So first, verses 18 to 21. He starts off by reviewing the past. He talks about this, and again, look at the confidence. This is really important. Look at the confidence that the Apostle Paul had in saying these things. Can we be that confident and that bold in saying that we have done these things uh, for the Lord the way that he did? He said this in verse 18, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time when I was there. He's like, you have been witnesses. Remember, people around you are watching how you live your life. There's an old saying that says, people might not believe what you say, but they'll believe what you do. So are we backing up what we say we believe, what we sang earlier in that song, with our actions? Paul said he did from day one. He said, I serve the Lord, verse 19, with all humility and with tears and with trials, everything that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. We've been reading that as we go through Acts. How often did he get to a city and there were Jews who were plotting against him? And then, even as the gospel went out to Gentiles, there were Gentiles that were plotting against him. He said, I serve the Lord with tears. I serve the Lord with humility. You know, whenever I I have the great privilege of officiating a wedding, I like to include somehow in my charge to the new bride and groom this idea of, you know what? Relationships require humility. In a marriage, we know it. In friendships, we know it. Being part of a church family, it can get messy, can it? Why? Because we're imperfect. But we're called to be a family together, but to do it all with humility. Thinking of others first. Paul is saying that's what he did. He's saying even through all of the trials and the plots of the Jews against me, I did it with tears because he had such a passion for the gospel and for his people, but he did it with all humility. In verse 20, he reviews his past saying, I didn't shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable. I taught you in public and house to house. He testified to Jews and to Greeks, both alike. You see that? He was basically saying, look, I didn't back down from everything. We like to say here at Trinity that we preach the whole counsel of God. It's one of the reasons that I really believe strongly in going through books of the Bible. Why? Because then you can't really skip around and skip the, the, uh, the things that you don't like. Or perhaps the things that I think you wouldn't want to hear. We have to read the Bible the same way because it's all in there for us for a reason. And Paul says, you know what? I didn't back down from anything. Even if it was a hard teaching, I taught it to you. Because it was in your bo- own best interest And that's what God said, so that's what I'm going to preach. He did it with humility. He did it with tears, because he had such a passion and love for the people. But he said, I taught it all. I didn't back down. If it was profitable, I taught it to you. I did it in public. I did it in private. You know that that's a great definition of integrity? Is that you're the same person in public that you are in private. Paul is saying he was a man of integrity. He's saying... I taught the same things out in public that I did house to house. So he went around and he represented the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where he was. He was never ashamed of the gospel, see? He was living the life no matter where he was, 
or even who he was with. He said, I did it to the, I did it to the Jews. I did it to the Greeks. No matter. I gave the same message. Repentance toward God, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only did he review his past, but then he was kind of responding to his present. Verses 22 to 27. He, so he says, and now. So he was like, he was looking at the past. He's saying, this is what I was doing. But he says, now here's the present situation. I'm going to Jerusalem. I mean, he was bent on going to Jerusalem. By the way, don't we know somebody else who is headed for Jerusalem no matter what? Paul was walking in his steps. He says, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. It means the Spirit was leading him. He, listen, he was allowing the Holy Spirit to lead him. Do we understand that's how the Spirit works at, at that moment of salvation? That we have the Holy Spirit indwell us, right? But we need to continually be in prayer that the Spirit would fill us and lead us that we would be willing to let Him. The Spirit doesn't just do His thing and we just kind of take a back seat. We have to allow Him. We have to, by reading and praying and fellowship and all that, foster an environment within us to let the Holy Spirit exhibit His fruit in us. And that's what Paul was doing. He said, I don't even know what's going to really happen to me there except by the Holy Spirit. And I think what he meant was that he was, the Spirit was using people to warn him, to speak into his life. The Spirit testifies to me that in every city, here's what awaits for me, imprisonment and afflictions. Does that sound great? Don't you want to just keep moving on for the Lord? But it didn't deter him. That's his point. He reviewed his past and he's saying, even now, there was plots against me. Even now, that's not changing, but I'm still moving forward because I have to get to Jerusalem. He wanted to get there for the Feast of Pentecost, see? He wanted to get there, and that was fine. There was things in, that, and ideas that he had about why he needed to get to Jerusalem, but he was on a mission to get there. But he was moved by the Spirit to stop and kind of give this farewell speech to the leaders in Ephesus. Even though imprisonment and afflictions await me, I'm still pressing on. But then he even continues to respond to his present situation. He goes, you know what? I don't, in verse 24, I don't account my life of any value. I'm not all about trying to build myself up, he's saying. And I don't find myself precious even to myself. If only I may finish my course. He's saying, this is what's important to me. Finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace. What a great thing that we should do often. Take a step back and just say, what are we doing for the Lord? Why are we living this life? If we have committed our life to the Lord, which is what you do at the moment of salvation, you surrender yourself. The rest of your life is lived out in what we call sanctification. That's when you make the commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To want to be like him you know there were disciples in the old testament rabbis had disciples that's basically what they were so the rabbi would go around teaching he would have a group of young men that would sit at his feet as the rabbi opened the scrolls and they would sit and listen and if the rabbi walked over here to teach a lesson they'd get up and they would you know what follow him they would want to be just like him you can still see that happening today in and around jerusalem 
rabbis walking around with groups of disciples following them. John the Baptist had disciples. Paul had disciples. Moses had disciples. The Jews, Jewish leaders said, well, we're disciples of Moses. But now Jesus once and for all says, be my disciples. Paul was his disciple. He didn't account for his life any value or of any precious. He said, I just want to finish this course that I'm on. I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong on this mission that God has called me on. What's the mission that God has called you to be on? We're all in a same mission that is to live for Christ, right? To daily surrender ourselves to Him. But then God calls us individually to do certain things for Him and His kingdom, but all the while testifying to the gospel of grace, just like Paul. And he says in verse 25, And now, even behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will see my face again. They were probably like, what? He's saying, you know what? I can sense it. The Spirit is telling me this. And he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to continue to find trouble, imprisonment, afflictions, riots, uprisings. And he said, I probably won't get back here again. So, in verse 26, 27, he goes, I testify to you this day. Again, he's responding to his present situation now. He says, I'm innocent of all blood. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He said it again. Remember, he said, he goes, I, I didn't back down from saying anything. Public, private, to the Jew, to the Greek. He said, there's no blood on my hands. Because I didn't shrink down from declaring it at all. How many times when we take an account of our life, did we maybe not even knowingly just kind of shrink away or back down from opportunities that God gives us to live for Him, to stand in integrity and to, to live out what we claim to believe? Another reason for us to do that kind of spiritual self-assessment and see where we are today, where we have come from, but then also what does Paul do? He finally, he reflects on the future. So he reviewed his past. And we should do that too. Because of course we want to learn from our past, right? What's that saying? That those who ignore the past or the history are doomed to repeat it? Something like that, right? But also take an account of where you are today right now in your life. Respond to your present situation but then, as Paul does in the last few verses, he reflects on his future. Verse 28, he starts to give these leaders some instruction. Because remember, he just said, I'm not going to get back here again. You won't see me again. So he says, this is what their future would look like and what his will continue to look like. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Remember, these were leaders in the church in Ephesus in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which means elder, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. He says in verse 29, I know after my departure, there's going to be fierce wolves come in among you. Not even sparing the flock, meaning people are going to come in and try to disrupt the church to bring in false teachings. And He tells them as leaders... You are charged with keeping out those heresies. 
you are charged with protecting the flock. What does a shepherd do? An overseer, an elder, a leader. What does a shepherd do with his sheep? A shepherd feeds his sheep. A shepherd cares for his sheep when they're in need. And a shepherd protects his sheep from the world and those fierce, ravenous wolves. He even says in verse 30, not even from outside, but also from within. From among your own selves, from your own church, there will be men, leaders rising to speak twisted things, to draw the way, draw away the disciples after them, to say, no, 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 you're learning it all wrong. Come with me to draw people away from the truth. So he tells them as he's reflecting on the future of the church that he loved so much, he says to these leaders, be alert. He goes, remember, for three years, I didn't cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. You know what's great about this? He's basically saying, I'm not, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done myself. He's saying, protect the flock. Watch out for those wolves and even the ones among you. He said, for three years, I didn't sleep. I didn't stop day or night. I even did it with tears because I love you so much. Verse 32, he says, now I'm commending you to God, to the word of his grace. He says, I can't really be here as your leader any longer. I'm giving you over to the hand of God. He is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says in verse 33, I didn't even covet anyone's silver or gold or even their clothes. Verse 34 to the end. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessities. Those who were with and those who were with me. He said, I worked hard with my hands. We helped the weak. Remembered the the words of the Lord Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And then when he said these things, he knelt down, he prayed with them all. They gathered around, they wept and they cried. And then they accompanied him to the ship to give him a final send-off. So as he reflected on his future, he was saying, this is what it's going to be like forever and forever until Jesus returns in the life of the church. Please protect my people that I worked so hard day and night preaching the Word to and caring for and praying for. But you know what? We're called to do that for one another as well. Right? That we are to watch out for one another. That we are first ourselves to take that self-assessment. To take stock of ourselves, but to always make sure we use the right measuring instrument. Not measuring ourselves against the world's standards, but against God's standards. Remember, we're made in the image of who? The world? No. We're made in the image of God. Paul tells us that we're new creations in Christ. That old one is gone and the new has come. And so we are to find our identity in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Are you feeling depressed or anxious? Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Are you feeling like perhaps you're a failure in your business or your marriage or your family? Or as a friend or neighbor, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Find your hope. Find your joy. Find your encouragement to continue on in no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But first, before we are even to care for one another, we do, with all humility, we do need to take that self-assessment, to take a step back and say, what does my past look like since I became a Christian? What's going on in my life right now? And then, what will my future hold for me if I continue on this course? You know, when you fly somewhere, we reminded of this when, when we were on vacation just recently, you get on the plane, right, and the stewardesses, they go through the whole safety procedures, don't they? And one of the first things they do is they take out the oxygen mask and they tell you, should there be great turbulence or something, you're going to see the oxygen mask drop down in front of you. Now, what do they tell you to do? Do they say, take it and put it on your kid, put it on your spouse, put it on your neighbor? No. They say, put it on yourself first, then help those around you. At first, it might seem selfish and self-centered, but no. Because if you don't do that and you're trying to help others, you're not getting oxygen first, and you're not going to be of any help to anyone else. If we are not staying in tune with the Holy Spirit, if we are not staying close to our Lord and Savior through our study of His Word, through our time in prayer, even through our time of fellowship and gathering together as a church, through our time of serving Him, then we're going to feel that distance. We're going to feel that lack of oxygen that keeps us alive. You know when you have a lack of oxygen, you don't think straight, right? Because you don't have enough blood and oxygen go into your brain. You get lightheaded. That happens to us spiritually, doesn't it? We need to continually have that source of oxygen, making sure, making sure through those times of self-assessment like Paul did here, making sure that we are on that right track, that we are gaining the food and the fuel and the oxygen that we need spiritually to then be able to be a blessing to others. Because if not, we're not going to be any good to anyone else, especially to God Himself. Let's pray. Father, God, we know that sometimes, sometimes You give us Your Word to encourage us, sometimes to admonish us, oftentimes to make us reflect and to consider, to ponder where we are in our walk with You. God, as we do that on our own time and we spend time with You alone this week and we think about our past, what we have done with our life in Christ and where we are right now and where it is leading us for tomorrow and the days ahead, God, would You show us mercy through that process. That we would be willing to lay down those things in our lives that we need to lay down. That we would be willing to surrender it all and let You be our God. Let You be in control. God, remind us often that we are no longer our own. That we were bought with a price. That price was the very blood the very life, the very oxygen of Jesus Christ. We know that now in Him, we have our life, our breath, our hope. Our hope now, and our hope for the future. God, would You continue to sustain us, provide and protect us as the Good Shepherd that You are. Watch over us as Your flock, that we may have all that we need to sustain and to guide us, and that we would look to You 
and listen for your voice. For you say you are the good shepherd and your sheep hear your voice and listen. Oh God, help us to listen each and every day to that beautiful voice of the good shepherd. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.